Hello, welcome to the Science for Policy podcast. My name is Toby and today I'm joined by Dr. Kerry Funk, who is the Director of Science and Society Research at Pew Research Centre in Washington, D.C. Dr. Funk earned her PhD in social psychology and she's worked on political polling with CBS as well as science and biotechnology studies with Virginia Commonwealth University. At Pew, she's led a series of large-scale studies investigating questions that are certainly dear to the hearts of many listeners to this podcast, uh, most notably whether and to what extent people actually trust science and scientists, as well as things like the implications of scientific developments in hot potato areas, biotechnology and climate change, for instance. So, Kerry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be able to talk to you. I think you might be a better place than nearly anyone else in the world to give um, an evidence-based answer to the question which many of our listeners often worry about, which is whether people actually trust science. So to get us going, could you put us out of our misery on that? What's the state of public trust in science right now? So as as you know, these are longstanding questions in Europe as well as other places about the degree to which the public trusts scientists and, and their work. Uh, we have just completed a international survey that looks across 20 different publics and asks people, how much do they trust scientists to do what is right for the country or the public? And we do that in comparison with other groups and institutions because that helps gives us some, um, some insight into how much do does the public trust scientists? And when you do it that way, what you see is that public trust in scientists is reasonably high. Um, It is about the same for trust in the military as it is for scientists. In some publics, we see a little higher trust in the military. In some publics, we see a little higher trust in scientists. Um, And in some places, it's about the same. But compared with trust in the government or the media or business leaders, trust in scientists is high. Well, that's great news to start with. Um, could you drill down just a little bit? What What are the questions that you ask people to get this information? Um, and, and what kind of figures are we talking about when you say trust is high? There's two kind of positive choices, a lot of trust and some trust. And there's two more negative choices, not too much or no trust at all. You look at the median responses just as a way to gauge the big picture results. So across these 20 publics, 36% median saying they have a lot of trust in scientists. Uh, at least that many have some trust in scientists. And that means that it's a smaller share with what you would might think of as a negative trust, saying they have not too much or no trust in scientists at all. What do you understand? And I suppose, what do the people you're speaking to understand by the word trust when you ask them that question? And actually, do you ask them about trust in scientists or about trust in science itself? We generally ask about trust in in scientists, the people doing the work. And I would say a couple more things about that is that, you know, the concept of trust is uh, complicated. A lot of people have thought about it. We often ask about trust to do something, to do what? So in this case, trust to do what's right for the public. Um, And of course, those those exact words matter for for the exact percentage that you get from the survey. But one of the things that we're taking away from these findings is not just that exact percentage, but also that relative trust compared to other major groups and institutions and society. And so that helps have a sense of where trust falls in a, in a comparative context. 
Right. So you can kind of factor in possible different understandings of the question because like whatever somebody understands by the question, you then ask them that same question about different groups of people and compare those. Yes, yes. So who are the people that you're interviewing? I feel like I should ask this because I know we have a number of social scientists listening to the conversation. So tell us more about the methodology. Who do you interview and how? You mentioned 20 different publics. What does that mean exactly? Yes, these are nationally representative surveys across each of the publics, and we're surveying only adults. They're eight, uh, by, def- by definition for us of 18 years old and older. And most of these surveys were done by telephone, uh, using um, generally using a random digit dial approach. And some places are surveyed uh, with face-to-face interviews where you um, where you select a geographically dispersed sample, and then you're going household to household. Um, the surveys were conducted starting in October of 2019, and then we wrapped up um, in March. Uh, the last surveys were conducted in the Czech Republic, just as the uh, coronavirus outbreak was really taking hold. Hmm, okay, interesting. How many people overall? Roughly 1,500 in each public, a few more in India. We had about 3,000 in India, so it comes to more than 30,000 respondents altogether. Okay, so now here is the question that springs to mind for me when I hear about these results. So you often hear people talking these days about a decline of trust in science, bemoaning how science is under siege, or we live in an era of fake news and so on. But the evidence you're describing seems to say fairly robustly the opposite. Trust in science is high, not only compared to other groups, but also in absolute terms, two thirds of people you said on average trust scientists across the world. So why are we wrong? Why do we have such a widespread impression that there's some kind of crisis of trust? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly been decades long conversation around how much does the public trust scientists and their work. And we still see lots of signs of generally positive views of scientists. We see Overwhelmingly large shares say that government investments in scientific research are generally worthwhile. Um, We see large shares saying that it's very important to be a world leader in scientific achievements. And as I said, we see we tend to see trust in scientists outpaces that for some other groups and institutions, uh, especially government generally. So some of this conversation is um, is is connected with uh, people's views around specific science-related issues, that that general support and value for scientists does not, uh, does not necessarily translate to particular attitude positions or issue positions. That as people are thinking about the benefits and risks of childhood vaccines, they have different things in mind than, than uh, trust in scientists. That might be one component, but it's not the only thing going on. Same thing for views about artificial intelligence or other developments from scientific and technological advances. Aha. Well, so thank you for bringing that up because that seems to me one of the most interesting elements of your results, this this tension, or apparent tension anyway, between a relatively high level of trust in scientists and at the same time a much more mixed and modest level of support for a long list of current scientific endeavours. I find this a bit hard to get my head around. When I think about it, like sometimes it seems just obvious, other times it seems like a real puzzle. Could you say a, a bit more about that? You know, this is a pattern that we often see that science is a, a vast enterprise and how people think about developments in science really tend to vary. They're, they're more context-driven around those issue areas. So you, you can find some similar patterns, but... Uh, 
typically what we see is our differences, um, that there's not a single way in which the public tends to approach scientists and all of their findings and developments from scientific research. So we can just maybe draw a couple of examples there. I mean, we do see in terms of public opinion around climate and energy issues, those have become often divided along ideological or political lines um, in many publics, but we don't see that kind of ideological divide across all issues. Yeah, sure. So but so those areas you've just mentioned are all areas of kind of public controversy related to science. I wonder whether it's just simply that in these situations, it's less about trust in the scientist and more about people's individual beliefs and opinions about those activities. Yes, I mean, I think that's a good point. And one reason people think that's the case is that people's beliefs and attitudes um, are driven by are, are driven by information, but by also a lot of other things, including values and emotions, other kinds of factors. And do you have any information or sense about whether one of those factors might be level of public understanding of science or of the issue in question? In other words, is there a correlation between how much people know about science and how it works and their degree of trust in it? This is an age-old question in the scientific community um, about whether or not we could kind of educate people into holding attitude positions that are more aligned with scientific consensus. And the answer is generally it's complicated and it doesn't work that way because you can you you often do see this pattern where more educated uh, adults in a society kind of have more positive overall views around scientists, but it doesn't translate to their attitudes on specific topics, whether it's um, the effect of artificial intelligence or um, issues around foods or climate issues, energy issues, and so on. So there's limitations to um, how much that connects. Every so often you will see a pattern that's similar. I believe um, childhood vaccines is one of them where people who've had more science training in their secondary or tertiary schooling uh, were more likely to say that, that there are kind of high benefits from childhood vaccines and relatively low risk of side effects. Right. So if it's not that, do we have any idea what kind of factors do influence people's views about different scientific topics? Are there any patterns there or is it really just issue by issue different? We've been able to go deeper in our research in the U.S. than we were in, in this study because, um, you know, you're just more time limited in an international survey. But so we've been able to do that kind of thing uh, in our surveys of the American public and kind of look in more depth at the kind of dimensions that people bring to thinking about scientists and their work and test whether or not how people think about scientists in different domains is the same or different. And so we see both, that there are some similarities in terms of people's levels of trust and the generally positive take that people have towards their views of these kinds of scientists across a range of domains. But we also see some kind of unique um, elements to how they're thinking about them, depending on um, the different areas. You know, so I guess in terms of climate, because it has been so politicized, you do see more skepticism around climate scientists than you do, let's say, medical researchers. I would say we also we often see some kind of connection with education levels in terms of general views of scientists and their work. But, you know, but sometimes the number of courses people have had in science don't really make a difference. That's where you kind of, again, make that distinction between a kind of general trust or orientation towards scientists and their work 
and more specific attitudes. Okay, so this was a worldwide study. Uh, can you say a bit about the variation you saw between different populations? Which kind of factors determined levels of trust in science? Was Did it correlate with geographical location, with age, with gender, and so on? Sure. You, you know, we're looking across 20 publics, and I should say, obviously, there are many more places in the world than just 20. So what we were trying to do is balance the breadth and depth of places that we examined um, and we have more places in Europe and the Asia-Pacific region and just a handful of other places, including the U.S., Canada, Brazil, and Russia. And so among that set, you see the highest level of trust in scientists in India, with 59% having that strong level of trust, uh, and the lowest level of trust in South Korea, just 14% said they have a lot of trust in scientists to do what is right there. The biggest pattern or the difference among uh, in each place uh, really has to do with ideology. So people who identify on the political left tend to be more trusting of scientists than those on the right. Uh, we see uh, large differences in the US and Canada and Australia, but we also see large differences in parts of Western Europe, particularly the UK, Germany, um, Italy, Sweden, and uh, more modest differences in Spain and the Netherlands. Okay, interesting. I know the political dimension is a big theme, which I want to come back to, but how about things like gender and age? Do they play a role? Perhaps surprisingly, uh, we saw very few kind of generational or age differences um, in trust in scientists and very little difference by gender. Probably the most um, striking finding to many people looking at this data is to see the ways in which political orientations are playing out in terms of public trust in scientists. We use ideology as just a way to capture that big picture, but you can also look uh, at the same patterns um, in each place by the share who have favorable or unfavorable opinions of a right-wing populist party, and you see the same pattern. What that tells us is that at least in some of these Western publics, you have a more politicized conversation around scientists, and, then, and that has implications for how you find common ground. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And then presumably by the same token, in places where you don't see that kind of distinction by political allegiance, it indicates that the conversation about science is not so politicized. That's right. Okay. And these differences in trust in science that you see depending on people's political orientation, do you see the same differences for trust in other institutions? So the media or politicians or whatever? Is it a general thing about trust that differs across the political spectrum, or is it specifically in science? Uh, we do see a similar ideological divide around trust in the military. It goes in the opposite direction, with people on the right more likely to trust the military than those on the left. We don't see it across other groups. We don't see that generally in terms of trust in the national government or trust in the news media or business leaders, for example. I'm going to ask you uh, perhaps another irritating why question. Do you have anything to say about the reason why people's political views affect their trust in science or scientific endeavours? Why does political orientation interface with trust so closely? The why questions are always hard to discern from survey results. What I would point out is that while there's been a kind of ongoing conversation, particularly in Europe, around the degree to which the public trust experts and scientific experts in particular these political differences are not as far reaching as you might think. So we did also ask some other questions that 
that you might think would tie with those same kinds of um, inclinations. And they're, they're just more modest. We asked people whether they thought that scientists make judgments based solely on the facts or whether their um, judgments are just as likely to be biased as other people's. And there you see more modest differences by ideology, not particularly large um, across many of those same publics. So that, that tells you there's some limitations to the degree to which um, we're seeing a politicized conversation around scientists. Okay. And do you have any idea of how the picture of trust in science has changed over time? That is a hard question. We don't have direct um, comparisons over time. And of course, this is uh, of interest to many people. So we have to uh, look at the patterns that we're seeing in this data and gauge the best we can. Okay. And is there anything you can say about that? Perhaps some other studies. I'm asking, but I'm particularly interested in how things have changed this year since the COVID-19 pandemic because, of course, science advice has been so much in the spotlight and scientists have become so prominent. It's something I can't be drawn on because we do like to speak to the data. And so the only thing I can point out is that, you know, one question on so many people's minds is what's happening to trust in scientists since the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and certainly that has put scientists in a, in a public limelight, um, perhaps more so than they have been in the past. Um, but it also is playing out very differently across different publics. And to some degree, public views of scientists are intertwined with public views of how the government has handled the outbreak. In the U.S., uh, we have looked at public trust in scientists over time since before the outbreak to, um, to after it. And there we saw public trust in scientists go up. But it turns out that that upward trend only occurs among Democrats uh, and has stayed about the same among Republicans. Ah, so that was a capital D Democrats. Yes, yes. Gotcha. Do we see any kind of broad pattern emerging about the way people think about the performance of science in their own countries during the pandemic? Like, for instance, how that relates to the impact of the disease on, on them, on their countries? I think what we see is variation across these different um, publics. And so we've seen very different outcomes uh, in terms of uh, the degree to which the disease has, I mean, everyone, every, everywhere has been affected, but the degree to which the disease has been contained has varied. There's been very different approaches to how to um, contain or mitigate the effects of the coronavirus. And that is linked with how people are thinking about the disease. Uh, we have done some other international surveys at the Pew Research Center um, since, the, since the outbreak. Um, and we see that publics tend to give their own country relatively positive marks for the handling of the outbreak. Um, and that bodes well. Um, we do see generally negative views of how the U.S. has handled the outbreak. From people in the U.S. or people from elsewhere? Both. Well, from both. Do you see any kind of correlation between a country's or a society's um, level of public trust in science in general and aspects of how the pandemic has actually evolved in that country? So um, public health differences or perhaps public compliance with anti-infection measures? I think, you know, this is basically the, the ripe area for research going forward. And it's certainly one of the concerns on many people's minds, um, particularly as we're thinking about vaccine immunization rates going forward is that public trust in scientists and their work will play into the ability to get more people immunized. 
<laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Okay. I'll take that answer. Now, suppose we have a vaccine ready in the next 12 months and the long-term health of the world depends on getting that vaccine rolled out. What can we do to promote trust in in the vaccine and therefore maximize take-up? You know, it's interesting. The issue of vaccine hesitancy has also predated the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Um, and there's certainly been questions around the degree to which these um, people with this kind of more hesitancy or lack of confidence in the safety of vaccines has grown. Um, so, I mean, that's really one of the roles of surveys like this is they help show us where those pockets of greater hesitancy lie, you know, who has less confidence and more confidence. And then what you do is you take that and then you then you know how to um, how to work with communities to try to address those sources of hesitancy. Okay, thanks very much for that. So um, I have a different question. One of the questions in your survey, the most recent survey, I think seeks to differentiate between expertise and practical experience. So if I'm understanding it rightly, about two thirds of people say it's better to rely on practical experience to solve pressing problems as opposed to experts, even if they don't have much practical experience. That's a quote from the question. What were you trying to get at with that question? Yeah, so this question is um, obviously posing a, a difficult choice for people, but it's it's trying to capture people's inclinations around expertise in general, right? So do you think it's better to rely on people who have practical experience or do you think it's better to rely on people who are considered experts about the problems? And so what we saw there is just a really strong inclination to rely on practical experience. Um, and again, that was not connected with people's ideological leanings or their support for populist parties in their country. So I think what that tells you is that expertise is not enough. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I understand that, but the question seems a bit weird to me. I think I'm struggling to conceptualize either someone who has a lot of experience in a subject but is somehow not regarded as an expert or the opposite someone who's called an expert even though they don't have any experience of the subject I presume you're going for some kind of distinction between someone who sits in their armchair and has studied a topic but not actually got their hands dirty versus someone who's been doing it out in the field but that seems like a bit of a caricature to me I mean surely person with an expert with no experience is no expert at all. Can you help me out here? Well, I mean, there's a way in which what you're asking people is for their immediate judgment about that value of practical experience and expertise. And much of the conversation around the value of experts just stops there. And what these findings tell us is that it takes more than the expertise to be convincing, to be trusted. So then um, it would be remiss of me not to ask you a question about science advice. What do people think about the extent to which science should inform policy? Do we have a direct evidence about people's views on this? Um, that, it's an interesting question. I, I have a very direct question. We've asked Americans about that, um, about that and, um, but I don't have it from this particular survey. Uh, so I can tell you that in the U.S., um, a majority of around six and ten think that scientists should be involved in public policy issues related to scientific um, matters. Um, and the, the remainder, most of the remainder, um, say that scientists should focus instead on establishing 
um, scientific facts. Hmm. Okay, so given this kind of mixed overall picture, we've got broad support for scientists and their work, but not overwhelming support, and a similar level of trust in scientists operating in the policy arena. But then on the other hand, many more reservations about individual subjects that scientists work on. Are there lessons, you think, from this for science advisors and for people who work in and design science advice systems? The takeaways for policymakers is to understand where the sources of concern lie for each issue and to, to recognize that they tend to vary across these issues. So we have an issue like the safety of genetically modified or genetically engineered foods. We see that tends to strongly align with gender, with women less uh, more likely to say these foods are unsafe than men. You have some other issue, um, issues around um, childhood vaccines and the, the benefits and risks of vaccines. Um, you know, the, the sources of concern there tend to vary across these issues. So policymakers need to be flexible in trying to, to address those concerns among pu- publics. Great. And with that useful and wise advice, Dr. Kerry Funk, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. The Science for Policy podcast is produced by SAPEA. We're a consortium of Europe's academies and learning societies, and we're part of the European Commission's scientific advice mechanism. We provide evidence and expertise to inform the work of the group of chief scientific advisors. SAPEA is funded by the EU's Horizon 2020 programme for research and innovation, and you can find lots more information about us and our work at sapea.info. Finally, the rather lovely cello music that's playing right now is performed by Elizaveta Sushchenko. So I shall shut up and let you enjoy the last few bars. Bye for now.